attentive. This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to And to your spirit, 
Before I even begin my sermon, I, uh, I wanted to not let this opportunity pass to uh, praise the parents of the altar boys because uh, we have 11 altar boys today, which in the middle of the summer, some smaller communities might get in their pews, and we have them in the altar. And all 11 of them were here uh, before the beginning of the liturgy. And even one of them was so eager that he was here at 6.30, ready to serve. I said, you can go home, or you can come in. It's up to you. He said, I want to stay. And so his mom said, give him a Bible. So we gave him a Bible, and from 6.30 until 8.30, he read his Bible. So, good job, parents. You're on the right track. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So notice in the Gospel passage in Matthew chapter 9, that it says that Jesus got into a boat and He crossed over the Sea of Galilee and He came to His own city. Matthew puts this in here because it's very germane to what happens next. After Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, and he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one, he came as an adult after he began his public ministry, and he settled in Capernaum. This was his own city as an adult, even though he was raised in Nazareth. And so people were familiar with him. This is why Matthew includes that he came to his own city. They knew him, but they knew him as a man. They did not know Him as God. And so when this paralytic was brought to Him, the paralytic was also known to everyone, and and his malady was physically, with the senses, readily apparent. Because a paralytic atrophies and withers in body. And that everybody could see. And who had ever heard of someone being able to heal a paralytic who was so withered and atrophied that he barely resembled a man? And Jesus knew this. But he wanted them not to just see him as a great miracle-working man. He wanted them to understand that he was God Almighty. And so he says to the paralytic, in front of everyone... Religious leaders of Judah, Judea, Judea included. He said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes who were Jewish lawyers, who were well versed in the law, they said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. It's important for us to understand that for someone to claim that they could forgive sins was tantamount to making themselves out to be equal to God Himself. And they knew Him as a man. This was His own city as an adult. And so the only rational, logical conclusion that they could draw is that He was blaspheming. So Jesus, knowing this, said, I'm going to do something in front of them that is powerful, that manifests authority that they haven't seen. I'm going to heal the paralytic in front of their eyes. 
But not because paralysis is the issue here. It's not because physical infirmity is what I'm focused on. Even though God loves mankind. He does care about our physical infirmity. He does pain when we're in pain. Sickness and disease is not His fault. He grieves over the fact that mankind has to suffer from these terrible things. But more importantly than that, God is concerned about sin. Physical illness is minuscule. Sin is huge. We can go into the kingdom with physical illness, but we cannot get into the kingdom with our sins unrepentant still a part of our lives. The whole focus of Jesus' encounter with this paralytic and all those who are witnessing what's going on is to show that He can forgive sins, but it's to prove that or to open them up to the possibility of belief and faith. He heals the paralytic on the spot. And it's interesting that after the paralytic is healed, the response of the people is, they were afraid. They had never seen such power and authority. They glorified God in heaven, who had given such authority to man. They still did not believe that He was God Almighty. For us, and what I want to focus on for the rest of the homily, is that although God cares about our physical condition, He cares so much more about forgiving us of our sins. And so I want to focus on the forgiveness of sins and what the church has given us to avail us of God's forgiveness. St. John Chrysostom says, Sin is the wound and repentance the medicine. As wounds and medicine are to the body, so sins and repentance are to the soul. In Joel 2, 12 and 13, the Lord says, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. And rend your hearts, not your garments. For I am gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We have to ask ourselves the question. Do we care more about our physical well-being? About how we look? About what people think of us? How we come across? Or do we care more about the condition of our soul? About whether there is sin in our life? And of course we all know that we're sinners. Every single person sins and falls short of the glory of God. But is there unrepentant, unconfessed sin in our heart? Again, quoting St. John Chrysostom, and I want you to listen carefully to this quote. He says, Many of the faithful, 4th century, while overflowing with numberless evil deeds, approach the holy table on feast days indiscriminately. They do not realize that the appropriate time for holy communion is when one has a clear conscience, not on the occasion of a feast day. 
So I plead with you all. Do not approach the holy mystery simply because you believe the feast demands it. Rather, if you attend, intend to take part in this holy offering, cleanse yourself thoroughly in advance with repentance, confession, prayer, and charity. Don't forget, as we go forward after the homily with the Divine Liturgy, there'll be a point where the celebrant says, the holy gifts are for the holy people of God. The holy gifts are for the holy people of God. Now don't think that we have it within ourselves to make ourselves holy. Don't think that we can, of our own accord, become worthy of these holy gifts. Never. But we are called to approach in a worthy manner. It's God who makes us holy. But there are steps that we need to take in order for God to have the ability to make us holy, to absolve us of our sins, to forgive us of those sins that make us unworthy to approach. St. Paul emphasizes this teaching when he says to the Corinthians in his first letter, But let everyone do a self-examination, and then eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks judgment to himself, if such a one does not discern the body of the Lord. So my dear brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that God does care about our physical well-being, but even more importantly, far more importantly, infinitely more importantly, He cares about whether there is sin in our hearts. And He has given us this holy medicine, this holy mystery of confession. Do you realize that the only thing that can remotely make us like the day that we came out of the baptismal font is holy confession? There's nothing else, no other powerful medicine that can do that. And so I wanted to talk about some obstacles that exist. We've all probably thought them. We've all probably fell prey to them that keep us from coming to holy confession. The first one that I want to talk about is insensibility. Many people are, are unaware of their sins, either because they do not understand God or His commandments, and therefore do not recognize that what they are doing and how they are living and thinking is sinful, or because they see so many other people around them doing the same things. They, they come to the belief that when a sin is committed by many people, it is no longer a sin. It becomes normative, acceptable. They see it acceptable on the societal level, and they transfer that over to God. If everybody's doing it, then it must be okay. But spiritual insensitivity is literally a slow death for the soul. If insensibility is not defeated by spiritual study of the scriptures and of the writings of the fathers and of frequent and heartfelt confession, insensitivity can become hard-heartedness. And hard-heartedness will separate us from God. 
The second obstacle is despair. Despair is sown by the devil into our minds and in our hearts to make us believe that God could never forgive us of our sins, either because of their severity or because of the number of sins that are in our lives. I want to read a quote from St. John Chrysostom that I think is beautiful on this subject of despair. He presents this as a conversation between himself and a sinner. Quote, I have spent my whole life in sin. Will I be saved if I repent? The sinner asks. Certainly, replies the saint. How do you know this? asks the sinner. From the charity of the Lord, replies the saint. And he goes on. If we were talking about repentance, only then quite rightly you should be afraid. However, since repentance is mixed with the Lord's charity, have courage, as there is no limit to God's love. Your wickedness has a limit, but the medicine has no limit. Think of a spark that falls into the ocean. Is there any chance it could remain there or be noticed? As the spark is to the ocean, so too is your wickedness in comparison with God's loving kindness. The third obstacle I want to talk about is shame. All of us have felt ashamed or embarrassed to go to the priest and to tell them that no one else knows about us. How can I go and confess my sins to my priest? What will he think of me? It's too embarrassing. But again, listen to the words of St. John Chrysostom. Quote, you should feel shame when you sin, not when you repent. Listen to me carefully. Shame follows sin, while repentance requires and nurtures courage. Knowing that sin carries shame with it, which to a great degree can dissuade a man from sin, whereas repentance is associated with courage, something which is able to draw the penitent closer to God. Satan, however, has reversed this order. And he attaches shame to repentance and courage to sin. Shame to repentance and courage to sin. The fourth obstacle is the question that we hear sometimes, why do I need to go to the priest? Why can't I just turn and face my icon and in my heart pray to God and have God forgive me? First, we have to remember that what we are seeking, what we are after, is the absolution of our sins. God has given this authority to the priests because we are ordained to participate in His high priesthood. Only God can forgive. And yet he says to his disciples, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. He gives that authority in the church to the priests, to the bishops. And we come to them for the absolution of our sins. Remember what the fathers of the church remind us. That whatever actions are done by priests on earth, God validates in heaven. Whatever actions are done by priests on earth, God validates in heaven. Now, I don't mean 
what they do on their own time, what they do in the holy sacraments, in the light and the core of the church. And also don't forget that it's not just absolution. But the priest is a fellow human being. He's a sinner just like you. He is a pilgrim on the exact same journey as you are. You also come so that you can get sympathy and understanding, so that you can be encouraged, so that you can get spiritual counsel to help you on your path and your journey to repentance. The fifth and final obstacle I wanted to talk about is something I hear a lot. Father, it's the same list. I could have just used last list. I keep doing the same sins over and over and over again. I'm frustrated. I don't seem to get better. Many of these sins, we have to remember, are the result of long-standing habits. They have been nurtured and developed over our entire lifetime. They didn't just show up overnight. And they're not going to disappear overnight. Repentance and spiritual healing requires patience. Patience is something that's very hard for 21st century man. Each time we go to confession, we have to remember that we are receiving God's grace. Every single time I go to confession, I am receiving the grace of God. His own uncreated divine energies transferred to me. This helps us not only feel better when we have unloaded those sins, but it also helps us to see more clearly the sin for what it really is. The grace of God is illuminating. When we say out loud before the priest what we have done, it makes it incarnate. It gives it three dimensions rather than staying buried within us, even though we might confess in our hearts to God. When we say it out loud, we see it much more clearly for what it is. And we develop a hatred for it. A hatred that finally brings us to the point where we say, okay, I'm seriously turning this over to you, God. And slowly but surely, the grace of healing starts to take effect. And degree by degree by degree, even though that sin may stay on our list, it's not the same. We are being freed from it incrementally. Again, I want you to listen to the words of St. John Chrysostom. This is an advertisement to read his writings. Quote, The man who wants to cut down a tree swings an axe at the base of the trunk. If the fruitless tree does not fall after the first swing of the axe, and it never does, will he not take another swing, even four, five, or ten more swings? This is what you should do when it comes to confessing and repenting of your sins. You keep swinging the axe over and over and over again. So my dear brothers and sisters, God is indeed merciful, compassionate, and loving. He does not desire the death of a sinner. He desires that he turn and repent and live. We have to trust in his mercy. We have to understand through today's gospel reading that although He cares about our physical well-being, it doesn't even compare to our spiritual well-being. He
He wants you to understand that He and He alone has the power to forgive sins. And that power is in the church through the priesthood. And He wants you to take courage and draw near and draw near often to the holy mystery and the holy medicine of confession. I want to close, and I think it's only fitting that I close with another quote from St. John Chrysostom. None should despair about his salvation. Are you a tax collector? You can become an evangelist. Are you a blasphemer? You can become an apostle. Are you a thief? You can plunder paradise. There is no sin that cannot be expunged by repentance. You have a physician who is superior to the illness. You have a doctor who is able and wants to cure you. Amen.